This is Tani Talks Radio, the share where we talk about a topic for the week, for the audience members to keep. Same time, same place, usually here on Tani Talks Radio. Sometimes we change around the time for various factors, but we try to keep the same time in general. We are looking at the idea of what we could talk about when it comes to signs. Oftentimes, there are many signs in life that we see and sometimes we don't see. You take a travel travel trip, you take a journey. Oftentimes, we're looking for the signs. We're looking for the ways to get off. Which exit should we get off? Which exit should we get on? Which road should we use? But oftentimes in life, there are different signs that really direct us and really guide us in our life but sometimes some people just don't have the direction in life which is very sad and very unfortunate and very devastating because how many years could be wasted how many hours how many weeks how many months and years could be wasted using your talents in the wrong way in the not most utmost possible ways to make a difference in the world to make the world a better place and sometimes people are lacking signs lacking direction to be led in life do you ever feel like you wish you had signs to lead you along in life ever feel that you could be pointed in a certain path in order to know where to go forward ever wish that you could be pointed in a certain way to go forward sometimes in life we can feel that we are not sure where we are supposed to go At times we may feel like we have to look for outposts and light posts and lanterns and signs along the way. But just know that Hashem is always in the shadows, behind the scenes, sending us signs and the symbols throughout our life. We just have to look for the signs in the life of our lives and those around us. If we look for Hashem... We'll be able to see him and find him. Oftentimes he sends us signs, sort of a wink to us in our lives. At times there are signs in our life that point us where we need to go at the behest of Hashem sending us small hints, gestures, or symbols. Other times when we are down or lost, Hashem sends that lamppost along the way to show us we are not alone, nor are we ever truly by ourselves. And other times we can feel that Hashem is sending us the sign himself. When a person looks for a house, the house wasn't on the market yet, but somehow they found it, that's a special sign. When you look for a car deal, somehow you stumble along to the one store that has that one car you want left in the collar you like, and no one else could find it or get it, that's a sign. When you can't find the stove you want, and that one last store came through for you, it's another sign, a wink, a signpost from Hashem. It happens daily in life, even in material ways, but of course, in spiritual ways as well. You just have to look for that signpost from Hashem to see it in life. Hashem is always around and puts signs all around us. We just have to look for them and see them. The question is, what are some signs and symbols in Judaism? Obviously, some of them are very, very obvious, and some of them are a little more subtle, but H.com points out to us with Dr. Miller that some of them we know very, very well. Is there a universal Jewish symbol? Around the world, people associate a plethora of signs with Jews and Judaism, from the Star of David to the Menorah to other ones as well. The Star of David, the Magen David, is one of the most recognizable Jewish symbols. It appears on many Jewish tombstones and is the central symbol on the Israeli flag. It appears on many places throughout the world. Surprisingly, given its widespread popularity, the Star of David is a fairly recent and has only been associated with Jews for a few hundred years. While the six-pointed Star of David might be more recent, the term Magen David is old. The Talmud mentions Magen David, literally the shield of King David, protecting King David and his descendant, the Mashiach, Messiah, from Psachim 117b. This beautiful image is also found in Jewish liturgy. We see it in the Jewish prayers all over the place. We see it each 
Shabbos, after we hear the Haftorah read in the Shul, the synagogue, the reader refers to the Divine, to Hashem, as Magain David. Magain David, the protector of David and the Jewish people. There is a legend that King David, David Hamelch, indeed did carry a six-pointed star with him for his shield in the form of his shield and the shields his soldiers carried. These were said to comprise two triangles, one pointing up, if you can envision the the triangle pointing up and then a triangle one pointing down, joined in the middle, forming a six-pointed star. This construction is said to have made King David's shield more sturdy than his opponent's. Of course, we could think about how it's referencing Shemayim and Hashem. Kabbalistically, some symbolic explanations for the six-pointed star is identified with Judaism to explain that it's representing the two arrows, one pointing up to heaven, to Shemayim, to Hashem, and one down to earth, where we're the people that are supposed to be reflecting the divine. The Star of David has also 12 individual sides corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. It also can be seen as a correlation to Shabbat, to Shabbos, where the central core corresponding to Shabbos surrounded by six points corresponding to the six other days of the week. Another very famous one is the menorah itself. Obviously, my favorite Jewish holiday of the entire year is Hanukkah, which is centrally featured with the menorah itself, but the menorah itself is an official emblem of the state of Israel. The menorah is a key Jewish emblem. The Torah relates how Hashem himself gave Moshe instructions for building this holy seven-branch candelabra, which obviously we have a different one nowadays, in order not to exactly replicate what they had in the Mishkan on the base of Migdash. But Hashem explains to Moshe in Shemos, Parakhan, Hey, you shall make a menorah of pure gold. This is how it should look, because it was so difficult to fashion, so difficult to construct, that Moshe basically had to throw it into fire, and Hashem had to basically construct it, because it had to have this and this, and a flower, and a petal, and a cup. Very hard to make, and to hammer it out of pure gold, but it had to be made out of pure gold. The golden menorah was placed in the Mishkan, the very first Jewish house of worship. When the Jews conquered Yerushalayim and built the ancient base of Migdash, the temple there, they moved the menorah to the temple, to the base of Migdash, where it was kept lit all the time. The holiday of Hanukkah, my favorite, commemorates relighting this precious candelabra after it was des- desecrated by occupying Greek soldiers, and Jewish soldiers recaptured and restored the temple, the base of Migdash, in the year 139 BCE. When the State of Israel was declared in 1948, the new country asked artists to submit ideas for a national symbol. Maxim and Gabriel Shamir were celebrated graphic designers. Interesting that their name is Shamir, which is a very important animal creature that was involved back in the day in the Mikdash. Coincidence? I think not. Born in Latvia, they each studied art in Germany before moving to the land of Israel in the 1920s and establishing a popular graphic design studio in Tel Aviv. They suggested the emblem that is familiar to millions of Israelis today for the National Seal, a modern rendering of the ancient menorah. They explain, and they later recalled, after we decided to use the menorah, we looked for another element and conclude that olive branches are the most beautiful expression of the Jewish people's love of peace. They flanked the menorah in their design with olive leaves, reminding the world of the Jewish people's ancient heritage in the land of Israel. The symbol of Israel's ministry of tourism is a stylized depiction of two men carrying a bunch of grapes that is so large they have to use a pole with one man holding up each end to transport it. Of course, this depicts the famous 
Torah story, the famous biblical story of the Miraglim of the Ten Spies. After God brought the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, he led them to the borders of the land of Israel. The Jews asked for permission to scout out the country. You should know that it wasn't really Hashem's idea, really it was the people's idea, because when Hashem gives the permission in Shalach, he says to Moshe, Shalach Lecha, which Rashi, I believe, interprets to say, Shalach Beshvilcha. You know, you do it on your behalf. You ask for it. I'm telling you, it's not a good idea, but you ask for it, you send the people obviously with devastating results as we see in the Torah. Twelve men slipped into Israel and were amazed at what they saw. Pomegranates, figs, grapes, and other delicious fruit grew out throughout the area. They brought back an enormous cluster of grapes to show their brethren. Ten of the spies in the end brought back an evil report, Lashon Hara, showing the grapes as proof of giants living in the land, whereas Yehoshua and Kalev, the other two spies, brought back a positive report. I, I believe they, don't, they, they, they themselves didn't bring any of the fruit. I believe one person brought a big one, another one brought a big one, and then the other ones carried the grapes together, but Yehoshua and Kalev abstained from bringing back the fruit itself. But that's a different story for a different time. But the emblem that's used is to show that there are the Shivataminim in the in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel, being, you know, Eretz, Zayt, Shemen, Dvash, and I don't even know the Pasuk offhand, but it shows the seven of them, and the emblem reflects one of them as well. The official crest of the city of Yerushalayim of Jerusalem is a lion, pictured against a background of the stones of the western wall of the Kosal Maravi, surrounded by stylized olive leaves representing peace. It refers to the tribe of Yehuda, one of the twelve ancient Jewish tribes, the tribe that is given the royalty, obviously not Shaul. Shaul was from a different tribe, but once it switched over to David, Malchus David is from Malchus Yehuda, and God willing, we should be Zalcha, that the Mashiach should come again from the tribe of Yehuda. When our biblical patriarch, when the, uh, one of the Avos, Yaakov, was about to die, he bestowed one of final blessing on each of his twelve sons in my favorite parsha in the whole Torah, Vayechi, my parsha, who founded the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel. When Yaakov blesses Yehuda, interestingly, Yehuda shrinks away because Yehuda is terrified. At first, he says, "Ruvain So he tells Ruvain he did something wrong. He goes to Shimon and Levi. Shimon so then he goes to Shimon and Levi saying how they decimated Shechem and he was furious with their anger not with them with their anger and their decision so he comes to Yehuda Yehuda you know and Yehuda's terrified what's he going to say about me you know I didn't have such great dealings either but then he says a lion cub is Yehuda from the prey my son, you elevated yourself. He crouches, he lies down like a lion, like an awesome lion. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Yehuda, nor a scholar from among his descendants, which is a wonderful bracha explaining that the Malchus is always Yehuda, the royalty comes to Yehuda and will not depart from Yehuda. Yehuda stood up for his brothers, was the leader, and it stays to him as well. So the lion makes a lot of sense, especially when you think about Yerushalayim, which was the city where David ruled and, and lived, and Shlomo his son as well, before it split with Rehavim and Yeravim after the fact later on. After the reign of King Shlomo in the 10th century BCE, the ten northern tribes split off from the nation of Israel and were eventually lost because of Yeravim splitting off, and then they had Malchus Yisrael and Malchus Yehuda, very sad. Only the tribes of Yehuda and Binyamin remained loyal and were known in later antiquity as the Kingdom of Judea. The area of the tribe of Yehuda encompassed Yerushalayim, which was its capital, making the image of the Lion of Yehuda a particularly fitting emblem for the city of Yerushalayim today. 
Then we think about some ideas and some words, like chai. Chai means life in Hebrew. The uplifting word is often found in Jewish jewelry and other Judaic objects, affirming one of the most important values in the Jewish way of life and the Jewish religion, preserving and celebrating life. A common toast on Jewish occasions is l'chaim, to life. Spelled with the Hebrew letters chet and yud, the word chai has a numerical value of 18. Chet is 8, yud is 10. Because of this, it's common for Jews to give gifts or donate to charity in amounts that are multiples of 18, like 18, 36. The Torah and its commandments are compared with a tree of life. King Shlomo wrote in Mishlei, in Proverbs, it is a tree of It is a tree of life to those who grasp it, and its supporters are praiseworthy. The term is first used in Bereshus when Hashem tells Adam and Chava that they can eat from any fruits in Gan Eden and the Garden of Eden with two exceptions, the tree of life, the Eitzachayim, and the tree of knowledge of good and bad, the 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 Eitzchel Das, you know, Tovarah, I'm not saying the exact verbiage, but these were the ones they were not supposed to eat from. But when the evil snake ensnared them, Adam and Chava broke this command and ate fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life, though, remained untouched, by the way, which is an aspect of the story I think not many of us think about. In later works, the tree of life is used as a metaphor for the Torah. The famous 16th century book, Eitz Chaim by Israeli Rabbi Chaim ben Yosef Vital, is a classic work of Jewish mysticism and expounds on the relationship between the spiritual and material worlds. After the Mabul, the flood, Noah sends out a bird a few times. One of those times, a dove comes back holding an olive branch in its beak. Lo and behold, the image of a dove holding an olive branch in its beak recalls this moment of profound hope and joy when Noah realized his many long months of living in a dark, cramped ark were behind him and life could begin again. There, of course, are the religious elements of the well-known mezuzah, the tzitzes, the talus, the tefillin, the Shabbos candles, Hanukkah candles, gelt, and so on. Judaism is filled with beautiful, wonderful religious signs and symbols. So there are many signs and many symbols and, and outposts in Judaism that represent different elements and aspects of life. But the question can become, what signs and symbols do you see, do I see in our own lives that could lead us along the way? is a famous, famous phrase I like to stand by oftentimes in life. The way you want to go is the way Hashem is going to lead you. From Torah, from Nevim, Ksuvim, the Gemara proves time and again, the way you want to go, Hashem will lead you. You want to use your capacities for bad, Hashem will let you go on the way because Hashem will give you your spouse, He'll give God willing, we shall be Zochem. He ordains the spouse, He ordains your job, He ordains where you're going to live, which house you're going to get, what car, and whatnot. But the actual choosing right and wrong, choosing if you're going to use your talents for good and bad, is only up to you. Hashem will lead you along the way. If that's where you want to go, you can go along the way. You can have someone, and God willing, we'll look at this. You have someone who has a nature, by nature, is very aggressive. You can use that and harbor towards good. If you follow your signs, you can use it and harbor towards bad. They say that David and Esau were very similar, and God willing, we'll look at this again. In the, in the fact that they had ruddy, ready complexion, redness to them, but David and Melech had eyes that were very soft and were very kind because David looked to the Sanhedrin to use his nature for battle. Esau just killed whenever he wanted, did Avodazar whenever he wanted, just grabbed any person, any woman off the street. But each one had their terms of what they wanted to do, but they used it for bad for Esau and for good for David. A person can have the innate 
want to have to use his hands, and it could be for good or for bad. A person could be a murderer, God forbid, we should have no from sitchings, or a person could be a shochet, or a mohel, spilling blood for good reasons, for using it for mitzvahs. We have to see what signs we have, and we have to follow it in the right way. H.com's Daily Lift points out that every person in the world waits for signs of recognition and affection. Students wait for signs of friendliness from their teacher. Teachers await signs of respect from students. Children want signs of empathy from their parents. Parents hunger for affection from their children. I would say also validation from those around us. A lot of us always hunger for. A customer wants his needs to be understood. A salesperson needs to feel that his merchandise is appreciated. So give people what they want. That comes from Rabbi Pliskin's Gateway to Happiness from page 138. Signs can be inward or outward, pointing to you along the way or helping those around you. Make sure to give different signs in life and to those around you as well. You think about a sign, you see a story in the Torah itself in Sefer Barathees. As Dina Cooper-Smith points out on H.com, Yaakov loved Rachel and said to Lavan, I will work for you for seven years. For your younger daughter Rachel from Barathees, Chavtes, Yaakov asked Rachel, will you marry me? Rachel said, yes, but my father is a trickster and will try to swindle you and switch Leah in my place. So Yaakov gave her signs. When the night of the wedding arrived, Lavan brought Leah to the chuppah. Rachel said to herself, now my sister will be humiliated. She gave over the signs to Leah. Talmud, Megillah, 13b. Yaakov and Rachel anticipated this trick of love and prepared for it. Yaakov gave Rachel a code or password, which she was to give over to him at the wedding to confirm she was the real bride in a bizarre twist. Rachel, seeing the ruse about to be carried out, cannot allow her sister to be humiliated. It's as if she's so overwhelmed by compassion at the pain of another that she had no choice but to give over the password. Rachel absolutely cannot stand by and witness another person's suffering, even if it were at the expense of her love her future, her destiny. The only calculation that seemed to enter her mind was, I cannot allow my sister to be humiliated, period. That's it. Interestingly, later on, Rachel goes and advocates for the Jewish people at different points in Jewish history and tells Hashem, Hashem hears from this one and that one, and none of them are, are Kiviachal swaying Hashem. Rachel comes and says, I literally gave up my husband to my sister. I literally... Su- suffered my own humiliation to not marry my intended groom and I gave it to my sister so she wouldn't be Malbim Pnei Chavera Barabim which is akin to death I made sure she wasn't humiliated in public as the Gemara teaches us from Yehuda and Tamar and other examples in Mar I couldn't allow her to be humiliated why can't you take care of my children and Hashem says this is the only argument that actually carries weight fascinating Sometimes signs can be a key to relationship builder or killer. Make sure to use the signs wisely and properly. The H. Rabbi points out on H.com, The Jewish belief is that astrology is a real force. It, it is one of the means Hashem placed in the world of channeling spiritual forces to the physical world. Needless to say, in the Jewish view, it is not a force independent of God, but is controlled by God, obviously. People are influenced by such factors as the day of the week they were born, which is interesting. The Gemara talks about each day. I was born on a Thursday. They talk about that too. And the ruling constellation at the time of their birth. See, especially Talmud Shabbos 156a. Someone on a Thursday will be very giving. I try, I try, and we, we do what we can. Someone on a Shabbos might be very, very, very compassionate and empathetic. The Zodiac also, to some degree, directs the forces which flow to the earth at any given time and can be used to very roughly predict future events. Although the science behind all this has been forgotten today, the ancients were much more familiar with it. Even though such forces do exist, the Torah forbids both the study of astrology and the inquiring about the future from soothsayers. 
So don't get swayed by the obsession with signs, symbols, zodiacs, and astrology, but understand that there is a guiding force from Hashem based on when He brought you to this world. Chabad.org points out from Malka Togur, in Parsha's Chayasar, which you know is a very famous Parsha, a lot of people go to Chavron, it's the Parsha of Shaduchim, Yitzchak marries Rivka. Sarah passes away. Yitzchak is still in mourning over the death of his great mother. But soon after he marries Rivka, he was comforted because he saw how special she was. The obvious question many people ask is, how did Yitzchak know? There were three signs. When, when Rivka entered Yitzchak's tent, a cloud of glory hovered above. Yitzchak said, while my mother was alive, a cloud of glory always rested upon her tent. But it disappeared when she passed away. Yitzchak watched for other signs that came very soon. As Rivka baked the challah for Shabbos, she modestly told Yitzchak there seems to have been a special blessing and the dough it rose so well. Yitzchak was overjoyed because he recalled that his mother's dough had also the same blessing. By the end of the week, the, certain sign, the third sign was clear. Rivka's Shabbos candles burned all week long, just as Sarah's had. During the entire week, Yitzchak and Rivka felt the holiness which came from the light of the Shabbos candles. And we know that every mitzvah which we perform brings light into the world, but we don't always see or feel this light. The Shabbos candles are special because we can actually see their light, the light of the mitzvah shining in our homes. When we watch the peaceful flickering of the Shabbos candles, we understand and feel the special holiness that comes with the mitzvah. Sometimes we can see or feel the signs and bring those into our lives. Signs can have a special power to show us that someone is right for us in our life. As a spouse, as a friend, or a co-worker, or as a partner, we just have to see the signs and recognize them, internalizing them into our own life. The Lubavitcher Rebbe points out on Chabad.org, a haven is of little use if it is inaccessible or its location is unknown, as is the case with the physical cities of refuge, the, the Ari Mikla, which we just talked about in the in the parsha that previously passed us in Shoftim. Moshe talks about the Ari Mikla, he actually sets aside three of them in Eber Yardin, which won't even take effect until Yoshua sets the other three in the Eretz Yisrael proper, but Mitzvah um, Yodo, you know, you have to get it done, which is a big lesson for Moshe too. So when these cities of refuge, they had to be established, it was the community's responsibility to straighten the roads, to repair them and broaden them, and to remove all impediments and obstacles and post signs at all crossroads. This imperative has special meaning to us today when the roads of life are teeming with spiritual refugees. It is our sacred duty to station ourselves at all the crossroads and serve as living signposts, calling out refuge, refuge, and pointing the way to the haven of Torah. So signs are not just physical in nature, on the road or block, warning us of traffic or cliffs or speed, but also are ones in spiritual nature. We have to be the signs and light posts for those lost around us. And if we ourselves are lost, we have to look for those light posts. We have to look for those lighthouses if we feel that we are drowning in the seas of uncertainty or lost in the tides at sea. We don't know where we're supposed to go. Our life is supposed to take us. Find that light post. Find that lighthouse. Find something that can have you grab onto it in order to make your life less tumultuous and less turbulent, but to feel more calm, peaceful, and serene finding the idea through working with society to get to where you need to go. Rabbi Sachs points out, Shalom on com. the trump itself also is a very interesting thing. The Torah contains musical notes, cantillations to read, to lane on Shabbos. There's a special note called the Shalshelis that comes up four times in the Torah. Uh, 
Only four times you hear that special note in the Torah, with four fascinating accounts of such moments. What links them is not words, but music. From quite early on in Jewish history, the Torah was sung, not just read. Moshe, at the end of his life, calls the Torah Ashira, Kisri Lachemet Ashira Hazos. Write down this song. Different traditions grew up in Israel and Babylonia, and from around the 10th century onward, the chant began to be systematized in the form of the musical notations known as Ta'ame HaMikra, Trap. Cantillation signs devised by the Tiberian Masoretes, guardians of the Masoretes, guardians of the Judaism sacred texts. One very rare note, the Shashelis chain, appears in the Torah this four times only. Each time it is a sign of existential crisis. Three instances are in Boratius. The fourth is in Sav, about leadership. In a broad sense, the other three are as well. So even how we view the Torah can be seen from musical symbols and signs to direct us along the way how the verses, how the psukim should unfold. And Blue McGordon points out on Aish, in life, you need to go along the way following the signs. Determine your ultimate destination. Decide on the very best route to take. Be sure to study each and every step carefully. It is the traversing of each individual highway and exit that makes up the ultimate destination. Lay out your long-term goals, then determine the how. You will reach your goal best by mapping out a practical path and setting up short-term, more attainable goals. Remember, it is what we make of the hours, the days, and the weeks of our lives which will determine our destiny. Don't choose a completely unmarked path. You're likely to get lost. Make sure that the route you are taking has proper road markers and signs that guide you and give you direction all along the way. Seek out guidance and direction along the course of life's odyssey. Find a role model and seek out wisdom and teachers of wisdom to stand as guides for you even on the blackest of roadways. Make sure the path you take is a good one with proper signs along the path to get you there. Remember, Hashem will get you there if you just want to take the journey to follow the signs to go on the path. Nisano Safran points out on H.com a very fascinating story. Dave was so familiar with the boring routine of his daily life and his daily walk to school, he figured he could do it in his sleep. That was a good thing to do as well, since at 7 in the morning, he really was often still half asleep. But today, something different greeted him on his way. The vacant lot he'd usually cut through had been fenced in with shiny aluminum panels and big, danger, construction, keep out, signs that seemed to be hanging everywhere. Of course, Dave, being a curious kind of kid who liked to see interesting things, immediately stopped in his tracks to try to get a peek between the panels. He saw big bulldozers, tall cranes, and men scurrying around in bright yellow hard hats. Looks kind of cool. Why not get a closer look? He thought as he pushed himself further and further through the small space between the panels. He had just gotten his whole body through when he felt a heavy hand clap down on his shoulder. Hey kid, can't you read the signs? A big tall man with a handlebar mustache and a hard hat glared at him. No one's allowed here but us workers. It's dangerous, now get going, he said, pointing his finger toward the gap in the fence that Dave had just squeezed through. Not having much of a choice, the boy sheepishly did what the man said and went on his way. Dave's school day went by more or less like all the others, boring. He was walking home when the fence and construction site again caught his eye. He peeked in again, curious to see if there was anything new. Nope, same bulldozers, same cranes, but where were all the workers? Hey, they must be on a lunch break or something. Hey, now I can really go see what's going on in there, he thought. 
Like in a flash, Dave slipped back in between the panels. He felt like an explorer climbing over huge rolls of cables, hills of sand, and stacks of metal beams. He heard some voices coming from around the corner. Oh well, lunch break must be over, he figured, and decided to duck behind some beams so no one would see him and make him leave. Suddenly, Dave heard the low rumble of an engine. Looking up, he saw the big, heavy claw of the crane dangling high right above his head and then start coming down right at him. He tried to jump out of the way, but his foot was stuck between the beams. Oh, no! Hey, help! I'm back here! He screamed. I'm here! I'm here! Help me! Help me! But his voice was nothing but a tiny squeak compared to the noisy engine. The huge claw kept coming closer, and Dave didn't know what to do. Suddenly, it got very quiet. The engine noise had stopped. Dave looked up and gasped. The claw, which was almost as big as a car, had stopped coming down and was now dangling just a couple of feet over his head. You again! A big voice boomed. It was the same construction worker with the mustache he had seen before. Don't you know how close you had just came to be getting killed? Why, if I hadn't seen you at the last minute and stopped my machine... Tell me, just tell me, why did you come back here after I already told you how dangerous it was? The man stared at him, waiting for an answer. I was, uh, curious. Even as Dead Dave said it, he realized how dumb it sounded and how wrong he was to have almost made the biggest mistake of his life, just because he was curious. Sometimes... We ignore the signs in our way and flagrantly defy what we should be avoiding, totally bypassing safety and security for danger, thrill and curiosity. Don't be like the cat. Don't be like the boy in the story. Don't go looking for trouble. Stay safe and follow the signs along the way. Here's another story from Nassano Safran at H.com. Keep out! No pests allowed! was the sign on Wendy's door, and it didn't take a genius to figure out whom the sign was meant to keep away. As far as Wendy Amberson was concerned, her younger sister Paula was nothing but a nuisance, and she wanted to have as little to do with her as possible. The kid was always trying to follow her around, but Wendy made it very clear she wasn't interested. She made it a point to sit on opposite sides of the school bus from her sister, eat at different tables in the lunchroom, do whatever else she could do to put herself wherever Paula wasn't. That's why she got so upset the day her mom dropped the bombshell over the breakfast table. Wendy, I have to go away on business for a week starting tomorrow, and since your father is very busy and will be at work most of the day, I need you to help me. Sure, Mom, what can I do? Well, you're big enough to take care of yourself, but Paula isn't, so I need you to look after her, you know, get her off to school, make her lunch, that kind of stuff. Wendy almost choked on her Cheerios. Mom, please, no, anything but that. I'll scrub the floors, I'll paint the whole house twice. Just don't make me spend a whole week taking care of her, of that little pest. Wendy's mom nodded. I know it isn't an easy thing to ask of you, and I'm sorry, Wendy, but there isn't just any other choice. And who knows, she added with a cryptic smile, spending more time together might just help you grow closer. Wendy was floored. Growing closer was the last thing on her mind. Here she had been doing everything to avoid the little pest, and now she had to spend a whole week taking care of her. Despite Wendy's best pouts, mournful tears, and door slams, her mom would not change her mind. And the next morning, Wendy braced herself for a miserable week. Come on, get up and get dressed. If you don't hurry, you're going to miss the bus. And if you think I'm going to wait around and walk you to school, forget it. Wendy said with all the charm of a drill sergeant as she quickly set out her sister's clothing and went into the kitchen to fix her breakfast. 
Why am I stuck having to do this? She kept asking herself as she roughly smeared a wad of peanut butter across the smallest piece of bread she could find and stuffed it roughly into her sister's lunchbox. Wendy and Paula rushed out the door and barely caught the honking school bus. She sat Paula down and, as usual, went to sit down on the opposite end of the bus. Then she thought, gee, if I'm kind of responsible for her, maybe I should at least be able to see her and grudgingly sat down not actually near her sister, but not that far away either. After school, Wendy ran straight to her room like she always did and was about to close and lock the door as usual, but then decided to leave the door open a tiny crack just in case of an emergency. That night, after finally getting her sister into bed, Wendy plopped down on the living room couch. It had been a rough day, a tough day. She wanted to relax. Soon she heard some noise coming from Paula's bedroom. She went to check it out and found her sister was crying. Hey, what's the matter with you? She asked. I miss mommy and I'm scared to be alone, Paula sniffed. Seeing it was no emergency, Wendy was about to tell her to be quiet and walk back out. Then she looked again at Paula, who looked so small, all curled up in bed. Poor kid, she thought. If I were her age, I'd be scared too. It's okay, Paula. Here, let me read you a nice story. I'm sure you'll feel better. Paula smiled, and a few minutes later, she was fast asleep. From that night on, something strange started to happen. Taking care of Paula wasn't turning out to be nearly as horrible as Wendy expected. She herself didn't even know why, but having to help her sister out so much just somehow made her like her better and care about her more. Each day, she found herself waking Paula up more gently, making her nicer lunches, and leaving her door open just a bit more. In fact, though she'd never say it to the kid's face, her sister was actually starting to grow on her and even seemed kind of cute for a kid's sister. The week passed and Wendy's mom was due home that afternoon. Was she crazy or was she actually going to miss taking care of Paula? After giving her a nice warm bowl of oatmeal, Wendy walked Paula out to the bus. They had a nice chat along the way, and when Wendy sat Paula down on her usual seat and then took the seat right next to her, the other kids and even the bus driver did a double take. That afternoon, their mom came home. She opened the door and was relieved to see the house was still in one piece. But the nicest surprise was seeing her two daughters laughing and playing a game together in Wendy's room. The usual keep-out sign on her door had been replaced by one saying, Welcome home, Mom! and signed by both of them. Wendy, I see you really came through for me. I hope it didn't take too much out of you. Wendy smiled. Mom, it was fine. Thanks for giving me the chance to give and get closer to someone really nice. Sometimes our signs in life, in our life, are put up as barriers for no reason, keeping out others who could be valuable, keeping out those whose input could put so much into our lives. All we have to do is take down the signs, remove the blocks in our way, and we could really brighten up the day. Listen to this story from Chabad.org during the height of the pandemic from Aharon Lashak. Quarantine at home for months, healthcare systems were under untold pressure and economic challenges, and they were only mounting. And people around the country had been looking for any positive messages of hope and encouragement they could get. Such thoughts were whirring through Rabbi Moshe Teldon's mind as he drove around Chicago neighborhood of Wilmette, where he served as program director at the local Chabad Center. He noticed a number of different signs on many front lawns around town, invariably posting a word of thanks to healthcare workers and the like. I thought to myself, what can I contribute to elevate this conversation? As a rabbi in the community, what unique angle can I bring to lift people's spirits and not just cower down in reactionary mode, but proactively better the situation, explained Teldon to Chabad.org. I got home that day and started toying with different wording. 
After discussing it with my father-in-law, Rabbi David Flinkelstein, director of Chabad of Wilmet, we hit on the idea we would bring a message of contagion, not a contagious virus, God forbid, but contagious positivity. Teldrin reached out to a good friend across town, Rabbi Mendy Wegg of Chabad of Northwestern University, who helped him with designing the new lawn sign. Their collaboration bore fruit, and a new sign with the words, Kindness patience and hope are also highly contagious don't wait to catch it be a carrier with accompanying graphics was born Teldon printed up several hundred signs and along with his wife Estrelea spread the word that signs were available for pickup on his front porch spreading good vibes we're giving away hundreds of these to bring smiles everywhere let's blanket Wilmot with positivity they blasted across social media things took off from there and pretty soon, hundreds of signs sprung up all across town. Ruth Alexander, a member of the Chabad community in Wilmette, said she was grateful for the signs. Given how divisive the climate we live in right now is, I felt it would be beneficial to have a sign that represented collaboration and unity. I cycle several miles around the neighborhood, and I'm gratified to see the signs popping up all over the place, she told Chabad.org. Many took to social media to display the words beyond the limits of their front lawn. On our front lawn now, thanking to spreading, thanks for spreading kindness, posted Victoria Shoemaker on Facebook. What a wonderful idea! Thank you for sharing the sign with me. I know it raised my spirits. Call Kavod, echoed Rena Kleber Rosen. Great message shining on a rainy day, Vitaly Kuznetsov posted, along with a picture of the sign prominently displayed on his front lawn. Not satisfied with keeping the positive energy in Wilmette alone, after a number of requests, Teldon and Wegg worked to make the material available to other communities as well. We made the design customizable, and currently we have personalized and delivered signs to over 25 communities around the country, said Wegg at the time. How refreshing, and yet such a brilliant, simple idea. Literally putting a sign on your front lawn to spread positivity and goodwill among the neighbors and the communities, because chesed can be catchy. Generosity and goodwill can be catchy. Use signs in your life to spread good to those around you, especially your immediate family in your house and beyond, in your town, in your community, in your schools, at your work. People catch on to good vibes, to good moods, and vice versa, God forbid. Now, Tony Zilberberg points out on H.com, I saw him a different spring as I was walking to the synagogue on a hot Shabbos morning in Los Angeles. He was standing at the entrance of a strip mall that I was passing, his front and back covered by identical, cumbersome cardboard signs advertising an absolutely fantabulous sale by one of the stores in the mall. He was still there a few hours later when I returned from the synagogue, several empty water bottles lying at his feet. It got me thinking. Even if this person was being paid only minimum wage, it would almost certainly be more economical for the store owner to go to Staples and order a standard print sign. Why the need for the human advertisement? Then again, when was the last time that a conventional sign really caught one's attention? And as you look at the busy thoroughfare, it's clear that many motorists were slowing down to get a look. One even quickly turned on the blinker and entered the mall's entrance. Apparently, living, breathing signs are worth the extra costs. Entrepreneurs wouldn't be throwing out their hard-earned money on an unproven advertising gimmick otherwise. In no less than four places, the Torah discusses the laws of the Ari Miklat in Shemos Chafalaf in Bamidbar, Lamed Hay, in Devarim Dalet and Devarim 
your test. The safe haven is established for those who are guilty of manslaughter where they could escape the wrath of the vengeful next of kin. Perhaps the reason why the Torah chooses to repeat this law several times is due to one of the powerful internal lessons the Mitzvah teaches. We're all haunted and pursued by past indiscretions as well as unhealthy and unspiritual tendencies. But there is a safe haven to which we can escape and find serenity. As the Chachamim tell us in the Talmud and Makos 10a, the words of Torah are a refuge. Through thoroughly immersing ourselves, exiling ourselves within the teachings of the Torah, we are granted the wherewithal to successfully fend off all the impulses that hound us. In Devan Parakutes, the Torah instructs us to prepare the roads that leads to the cities of refuge. The Talmud explains that it is imperative upon the community to ensure that the roads leading to the cities remain maintained and unobstructed, and furthermore, that every crossroads must have a prominent sign directing the person to the closest Ari Miklad, to the closest city of refuge. The Rabbi explained the contemporary lesson that this detail of the law offers. It's our duty, the Rabbi says, as we said earlier, to stand at life's crossroads with a large arrow sign and loudly proclaim to all, this is the way to refuge. This is the Torah. This is how you live it. This is how you find peace and tranquility. We need to be the signs for our chance acquaintances, for our friends, for our children. We can go to Staples and print up posters. We can buy books for our children that teach them the proper path. We can use wonderful words and homilies to persuade them to the beauty of Torah. Or, we can be living signs. Yes, it requires a deeper commitment. It can mean standing in the heat for hours. But living signs can cause heads to turn like no other means of advertisement can. Because in our lives, we need to be the lampposts for others. We need to be the living signs for others. We need to follow the right signs of our path in our life. We need to spread goodness and happiness to the world around us and people should see our signs of our lives to make a Kiddush Hashem so that everyone can follow the right signs in order for the whole world to be better because we see the signs all over the Torah. You know, Eliezer, when he's sent by Avraham in a Bereshis Perakhaf Dalad, he looks for signs. He looks for the one that will water the camels. Rivka is going to water the camels and water and give water to them. He'll be gracious. That is the sign to look for. Even the Chachamim had to look for signs, especially to declare the new month they needed to see exactly how it looked and to see if it was eclipsed. It wasn't such a good thing. And if the, the, the moon came about at the right time, it was a good thing. Signs are important in general in Life, you could see the sign of a person's face as well. Avastor Rabbeinu Nassim points out in twenty-five, Ben Azai would say, when someone's mind is calm, you could see it on their face, and when they're in distress, you could see it in their in their face. You could see that it's a bad sign. You could see how people look on others and how it could be. It is a sign for them in their own life. There are different signs in different aspects of different ways in life as well. We should look for them as well. Even if someone loses an item, we need to look for the distinguishing signs for Hashavah Saveda, for people to use in order to help them get back items in their own life. Sometimes people could see different things in their dreams or whatnot, and if it's a good dream or a bad dream, it could be a good sign or a bad sign, and there's a special prayer in Birkas Khanum that people say as well. And even if it's a, a clear day or not, the Gemara talks about in Baba Basra, it might be a good sign or not. A good clear day for Shavuos is a good day. If it was warm, the entire year will be warm on Rosh Hashanah. If it's cold, the entire year will be cold. There are different things 
how we could interpret different signs and different ideas in life. The show for coming up in just a couple of weeks, God willing, in fall 2023, it's a sign as well. The shofar is supposed to wake us up. It's supposed to get us to be kumi kumi his orary. We're supposed to wake up and hear the sound of the shofar to realize a new year is upon us. A new beginning of a year is upon us as well. People see signs and in it can be involved in signs and it could be leading people in different ways. We know that there are different signs of a Jewish person, of the Jewish nation. If they're merciful, they're shamefaced, and they perform acts of kindness, that's a sign of a Jewish person, you've almost points out in 79a, as David said. And we know this as well. Even Perkevus teaches us as well to be involved as well. And there were also flags in the in the Midbar as well, which was a sign where each person should encamp in it. Each aspect had a specific place to encamp on purpose. The, the Kohanim and the Levim were close, and then each of the tribes were in different places in order to be involved in where they're supposed to go when they're camping and when they were leaving. There were different signs throughout the Torah, throughout the different stories and different aspects. You know, Simena Milsahim, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar talks, talks about in Shemos that it's an old adage of the sages that one must not dismiss symbols as of no consequence because it could be involved into a matter and Penina Halacha talks about how they're a real thing and there are aspects to be involved in. So we think about signs in our life. We should look for the signs understand that there are major signs in Judaism. There are major signs around in life. There are so ever-present, we just have to look for them. How do we interpret the signs in our life? Do we look for positivity and optimism in their life, or do people just look for the negative? We have to use the symbols and hints to study and remember things in life. Make sure that you use signs for relationships and for friendships and for acquaintances in life to make life better. Every shaved in life had its own sign, its own flag to lead along the way. Symbols and signs could bring us to connect to Hashem, especially religious symbols, religious objects such as tefillin, kippot, and the talus. Use them to connect to Hashem. And they have real Torah and real power, real true power to be used for Torah, Mitzvahs, and Chesed. If we could just think about the signs, how it could lead us along the way, how it could bring us along the way to make a difference in this world. A sign really can lead us. If you're lost, in the turbulent waters of life, if you feel that you're going against the tide, you're not with the tide, if you feel lost at sea in the waters of life, sometimes it might behoove you to sit down and think, what can I do with myself? How can I find a lamppost along the way? How can I find a sign along the way? What do I really love to do? What's my passion? What can I do to contribute to the world in a Torah way, in a mitzvah way, in a chesed way? How can I find where I'm supposed to go, that God's going to lead me, but I want it to be in the way that I should be led? If we could all look for the signs, we could look at the lampposts, we could look at the way to be led along the way, we could all have a much better life, a more fulfilling life, a much more beautiful life, and maybe together we could all be Zohar to see Mashiach speedily in our days, and may that day, in fact, be today. This has been Tani Talks Radio, where we talk a topic for the week for, for the audience members to keep, and I'm your host, Tani. <laughs>